sometimes feel it. Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Deuteronomy to start with, uh, chapter 10 and then chapter 24. But before we get there, before we get there, I have to set this thing up, which is kind of what we do. That's how we do it here. Set it up. Okay. So uh, if, if, uh, if you remember from last week, we started a conversation about justice and injustice. We started in uh, Isaiah 58, which is this really kind of, in, it's an indictment against uh, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, uh, through the prophet Isaiah to the people of God. And they talk, he talks about worship and really uses justice or acts of justice through, as a lens through which uh, worship is seen, which is really interesting. And there's a list of people that shows up in Isaiah 58 that we're going to see again in, in Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 24. It shows up all over the place. We're going to highlight that a little bit this morning. Uh, but if you remember, we also talked about the Hebrew concept of shalom. And this is a th- uh, something we've talked about in a number of different contexts and ways. Last week, I offered the metaphor of a weaver at the loom, so to speak. If you can imagine, God is this weaver at the loom, and creation is this unbelievably intricate and interdependent garment or fabric that has been woven together by God. And so every aspect of creation, from humans to the plants and the animals and the waterways and the air and every molecule, is woven together in this masterful creation, and it's all interconnected, it's all interdependent. And so when you snip one string and pull it, it actually affects the, entire, the entirety of creation. So sin, or the introduction of sin in chapter 3, is not this isolated incident that just affects Adam and Eve, but it affects every aspect of creation. Every aspect, according to Romans and Paul, is under this, new, this curse that has uh, been brought about by the choice of sin. So injustice is the breaking of shalom. So any place where we find that the, the fabric of creation has been broken by our choices or, or uh, has been affected by our choices and we see the fabric of creation broken apart, that's where we find injustice. And then justice is God's response to the repair of shalom. Okay? So shalom is this thing God creates. It's broken. And then justice, acts of justice and the word that God uses in the scriptures oftentimes refers to this restoration of what God has made, shalom. So we have retributive justice we talked about last week, which is like somebody gets what they, what they, they reap what they sow, which is found, but then more often than not, and connected to God's people, we find restorative justice, where God is challenging his people to be a part of restoration. And that's what justice looks like. This week, I want to take this whole conversation a click further. Uh, we mentioned that Hunger, which is kind of the missional focus for Awaken in this, in this next year, this is our one thing, is a symptom of something deeper at, at play, something that's below the surface, and that thing that's below the surface is injustice, and then, of course, justice as the response to that. If we talk about hunger, we're going to do this in a number of different ways, and we have to talk about different things connected to it, justice being one of them. This week, I want to actually talk about poverty, uh, and I want to talk about uh, some of the implications of poverty, what is poverty, uh, and so newsflash i 'm white uh, <laughs> i 'm white i 'm a man i 'm a middle class guy. I have gone to college, I have a graduate degree, so of all the people to spend any time talking about poverty i 'm probably not the most likely candidate, right 
Let's just get that one out in the open. Okay, so I'm not going to pretend to know all kinds of things about poverty that I don't know about. I think sometimes we, uh, and I wanted to just throw this out there right at the beginning, because I would hate for us to get through this and think, what right does any, do, do you, Micah, white, male, educated, college, the whole deal, what right do you have to talk about poverty? And so I'm not going to try to fake it. I'm not going to try to pretend like I know something about poverty and the intricacies of it or the actual experience of it that I don't. But if we're going to talk about hunger, we have to go here. And so I'm not going to say, I'm not going to pretend like I've, I've been there. You know, I grew up with five, five, four, five brothers, or no, five boys. I had four brothers. So I always get that. Uh, and we didn't have a ton of cash flow, you know, a ton of cash laying around. There wasn't a money tree in the backyard that we went and picked whenever we needed something. But I don't know that much about poverty. What I want to do this morning is, is I want to present some of the things that I think the scriptures uh, offer and that we have to wrestle with if we're going to talk about hunger. So I want to ask just what is it? Uh, and I want to ask a couple of questions and then make a few observations if I, if I may. Um, so I want to start in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to read verses 17 to 19 and then we're going to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. God says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Now flip over to Deuteronomy 24, verses uh, 17 to 22. Do not deprive the alien, the fatherless, of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I commanded you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for who? The alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that is why I command you to do this. Pray with me if you would. God, as we begin this, uh, this teaching this morning, as we look into your scriptures about this complex issue of poverty, I want to ask that you would uh, speak to us, that you would say something, um, I want to I ask God that you would remove guilt from this conversation again as we, as we prayed last week. And I want to ask that you would uh, remove the, the potential of an overwhelming sense of hopelessness that could come from spending time talking about things like injustice and poverty and hunger. God, it's a massive, massive issue. And it is a huge gaping hole in the fabric of creation that we ourselves cannot fix or even begin to fix. And yet, this is where you call us to live. This is where you call us into. And so, God, I pray that today as we explore this further, that you would, that you would just invite us to take one step more. That you would challenge our assumptions, our preconceived ideas about wealth and poverty. Uh, that you would really uh, show us, open our hearts, maybe just a little bit, maybe just crack them open a little bit more than they are already. Uh, to begin to speak to us about what poverty is and what it is, what our response is to it. 
as people who follow you. We pray this in your son's name by this power that raised him from the dead. Amen. Um, so a little bit of groundwork before we ask a few questions. Does anybody notice the list of people that was mentioned over and over and over again in that passage? Right? It was the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Right? We mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Alien... Uh, to dispel any sort of junior high-ish moments here, right? We're not talking about UFOs. We're not talking about extraterrestrials. No ET here. What we are talking about, the best translation would probably be immigrant. So the immigrant, the person who's not from your land, who has come to your land for whatever reason, for uh, opportunity, for because they're fleeing from war, because they're whatever reason, an immigrant, the fatherless and the widow. You'll find in other places the naked, the hungry, and the orphan, right? Why is it that this list of people comes up over and over again when the, when the scriptures talk about justice and acts of justice done on behalf of God by his people? What is it about this group of people that comes up over and over and again? Is the Hebrew writer kind of, uh, you know, out of other ideas? Like this is just one that you kind of stick to? Uh, is there a word play that happens in Hebrew that maybe we don't get? Or is there something going on here, something below the surface that we should pay attention to? If you know me well enough, you'll know that I think it's probably the last one of those. There's something connected to that list. It's not random. It's not arbitrary. It has significance and meaning and value. What is it, though? I would submit to you this morning that when we hear orphan, fatherless, widow, alien, immigrant, those kinds of terms, those kinds of adjectives describing a person, what we're dealing with is, has more to do with the context and culture of the day than some random list of people. Imagine, if you would, if you are living in the first century or prior to when this was written, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of years before the, before the turn of a, a, is it BC, AD, you know what I'm talking about, zero on the calendar. Imagine you're living there in a Middle Eastern agrarian farming tribal community. What is the most important thing for you to have? Think about this. You live in a farming community. You live in a tribal community. Things are passed on from generation to generation. What is absolutely essential for you to make it in society? Land. Absolutely. If you don't have land, you are up the creek without a paddle. You have no hope of getting ahead. You have no hope to provide for your family. So who's listed here? Immigrants, someone who's coming to you from a faraway land where they've left anything that they would have had. Widows, right? Women, females, who in this culture have absolutely no rights. If their husband leaves them, divorces them, dies, they have no hope. They have no way to get ahead, no way to make an income, no way to get any sort of commodity or resource in the culture. The fatherless, orphans, right? Kids. So the people that are listed in this particular, these passages, and it happens, we could, we could multiply this list by the dozens in the, in the Old Testament. The people that we get are the most vulnerable in society. So the people that are listed are one, one, one moment, one event, one unfortunate move away from total isolation and uh, complete poverty, where they have no way to, to provide for themselves or for their families. This is the group of people that's mentioned. Now, fast forward to our community, our culture. We live in a Western, democratic, capitalistic, free market economy. Okay? If, if land is the most important commodity there, what's the most important commodity here? 
ACDC. Come on, money talks, right? They said it back in the 80s. They were right. They were right. Cash, capital, money is the most important thing to have because if you don't have it or you don't have a way to get it in our culture, in our society, same deal. So when we talk about poverty, we need to understand that this is what we're connecting to. In the Old Testament, we get this list of people that represents the most vulnerable people in society. The people who, have, who are one move away from, one unfortunate situation away from, having no, no way to provide for themselves or their families or, or any means to get food or the basic necessities that they need to live. When we talk about poverty in our culture and in our time frame, this is what we're tapping into, a group of people who are typically the most vulnerable people in our world. Because why? Because they don't have access to capital more often than not. Now, I want to ask a question as we start here. And the question is this. What is poverty? When I say poverty, the word poverty, how do you define it? So I want to do just a little intellectual uh, test, a little maybe uh, a little case study here. I want you to turn to your table mates there, if you would. And if you're sitting uh, at a table by yourself, grab somebody near you, if you would. And I want you to answer that question. Just you know, write a few things down as you, as you would on your little pieces of paper there. There should be pens. What is poverty? Go. Talk amongst yourselves. How do you define it? sentence that you could narrow it down to or a couple of words gather back around here. What is poverty? What are some of the things that your group uh, discussed? Maybe shout it out or just raise a hand. Kind of a free-for-all here. What is poverty? Okay. Going to bed hungry. Loss of hope. Say it again. Lack of security. Okay. Lacking basic needs. Okay, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. All right, somebody over here said something. Loneliness. Uh, here. Not making a defined amount of money, and you said. Okay, basic necessities: food, water, lack of resources. Yep. Okay, dignity. No money. Okay, good. Uh, I'm proud of you guys because 
more often than not, and studies have been shown, uh, so I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere, when Western people are asked, what is poverty? More often than not, the answer is connected to resources, material resources, right? And even in my intro, I kind of, I sort of set you guys up. I baited you a little bit in hopes that you would take it, but you beat me. You're better than that. You're smarter than that. When Western people are asked to define poverty, more often than not, the answer is connected to material resources, right? Basic money, uh, food, uh, water, the, the basic thing, shelter, In 1990, the World Bank, if you're familiar with the World Bank, this is post-World War II, the World Bank kind of sprouted and began to sort of help rebuild post-World War II Europe. And they lended, uh, loaned uh, sums of money into the destructed uh, European countryside and cities, and it it was a huge success. Uh, Lots of cities that were destroyed were built back up because of this influx of cash and capital that was given by the World Bank. So then they started to do that throughout the world, and they found that, the, that their, their, uh, the outcome was not the same. It was very, very different, in fact. And so they began to do a study in 1990 to try to understand poverty because they had this huge chasm between their experience in post-World War II and then after that. And so they asked 60,000 people in six, uh, 60 different countries, what is poverty? So they asked 60,000 people in the 60, uh, 60 most low-income places they could find. So they're talking to the faces of the poor. What is poverty? Here are some of the things that they said. They'll be on the screen up here. They said, uh, this is a person from Moldova. For a person who has everything, or for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. No one needs us. We're like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Uh, From Guinea-Bissau. When I don't have any food for my family, I borrow. I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to feed them. I'm not well when I'm unemployed. It's terrible. From, uh, won't you throw the next one up there? From Latvia. During the past two years, we have not celebrated any holidays with others. We cannot afford to invite anyone to our house, and we feel uncomfortable visiting others without bringing a gift. The lack of contact leaves, leaves one depressed. A constant feeling of unhappiness and low self-esteem. From Uganda, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. There is famine in her house, no clothing, and no progress for her family. Excuse me. From Cameroon, being poor is a feeling of powerlessness and an inability to make themselves heard. And from Indiana, here in the U.S., you feel like a piece of furniture shoved in all directions. I work a lot but can never get ahead. I rarely get outside, and it's hard to make friends. Now, does basic necessities come up in this list? Yeah, it comes up. But arguably, it is not the primary lens through which the, pover- the impoverished people of the world see their experience. It's very, very different. The primary lens that those who experience poverty see or explain or define poverty through has to do with emotional, social, uh, physical, spiritual things. They talk about being depressed and uh, their shame and isolation, powerlessness, lack of self-worth and of dignity. It was not spoken of primarily in, in as far as material resources are concerned. Do you see the difference here? 
When we talk about poverty, often, more often than not, immediately we turn to resource, money, capital. But when the poor themselves are asked, how do you define poverty? It is primarily through the lens of social and emotional and spiritual terms. Friends, you have got to get this. How we define poverty and issues related to it predetermines what we think the response or the, the, uh, the solution to poverty will be. So how we define poverty itself predetermines what we, what we think the response or the solution to it will be. So if we think that the, that the problem itself, if we define poverty in terms of money, what will our response be? Money, because that's the problem. But if we don't understand that there's a whole other side to this and there's a completely, there's a massive uh, uh, thing that we're opening up here that has huge implications far beyond resources, then our efforts to enter the conversation may even do more harm than they will good. I'm reading a book right now and it's just killing me. It's called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty and, uh, Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. Uh, If you want it, I would completely recommend it as we journey this year into hunger. Let me introduce two terms to you, surviving and thriving. Surviving is this. It's it's basic needs of food, water, clothing, and shelter. When we think about humans and we think about humans' rights in the world, like every human has these rights, in the West, often we think about it in terms of surviving, that we all have the right to food, water, basic necessities, you know, shelter, that kind of thing. That's surviving, okay? And often that's how we view poverty. That's the lens through which we see it through, that these people lack the basic necessities of life, food, water, shelter, and they can't survive. But arguably, if you go through the scriptures, this is not all we're on the hook for as God's people, In fact, we're on the hook for way more than that. If you remember from Isaiah 58, verse 7, it says that you should not forget your flesh and blood. There's this connection that God makes between humans and humans, not just family members, not just those who are inside of your tribe, but you're responsible to your brother and sister as a human. You're on the hook for way more than just surviving. We're on the hook as God's people for being advocates, for being ambassadors for, for being people who lean into humans thriving, which has to do with the list of things that we heard from these people who are actually poor. Dignity, self-worth, an opportunity to make it in the world, to provide for one's family, to make a contribution to society. This is thriving. And so when we talk about poverty and God's people and our response to poverty, it's not just to provide the basic necessities, but it's actually to enter the conversation on both levels. Surviving and thriving. Uh, I heard a story, I was talking to somebody about this um, uh, as, as I was researching and reading about this series and what we would talk about. And I heard this story of uh, this guy who was uh, uh, an American, a Western uh, millionaire, had tons of cash, tons of capital, and he purchased millions of dollars of ARVs, which are uh, medicine that are given to folks who are suffering with AIDS and HIV. They're life-changing drugs. They make unbelievable differences for people who are living with AIDS and HIV. So this guy buys all these ARV medicines and and wants to give them to people in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, who are suffering from AIDS and HIV. And purchases all these things and sends them over there, gets them to a relief organization, 
Do you know what happened? These ARVs sat in a warehouse for years. Because if you're going to give ARVs to people with AIDS and HIV, it is critical that you know where they are in the process, how much they weigh, their history, all of these different things, because if you give them too much or too little, it actually does more harm than it does good. So because of ignorance, because we think that the problem is money, we just buy something and send it over there, and we don't think about the process and the systems that have to be in place and the care that needs to be given to the people who are going to receive the drugs. And it was tragic that these things sat in a warehouse because they're life-giving drugs for these people. But when we don't understand poverty in a way that actually taps into the, 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 the issue as it is, which is not just about surviving, but just w- which is about thriving as well, we run the risk of doing more harm than we do good. And I'll just pause here for a second before we go on, and I'll say this, gang. I'm not doing this to make us feel bad. I feel bad because I know that there are things that I've been involved in in the past as I look back that may have done more harm than they have good. And as we go further today, that that feeling may actually get more uh, significant and weighty for you. I'm not doing this to make us feel bad, but if we're going to go there, if we're going to journey this year into this issue of hunger, which is connected to justice and injustice and poverty, then we have to begin to enter the conversation with our eyes wide open. We have to begin to be educated about the problem and the issue that we're talking about if we're going to actually do any good in Jesus' name. And that's really what I'm interested in. Not just doing something so that we feel good about ourselves, but so that the people that are involved in the process are people, not a means to an end. What is poverty? Bigger than we often define it, gang. Now, Let me ask a second question. What's the difference between compassion and justice? Last week, we we looked at Isaiah 58, and I want to tap into uh, verses 6 and 7 again. It says this, Is not this kind of fasting I have chosen? So this is God responding to the Israelites, to the people of God, and he says, Is this not what I ask you to do? To loose the chains of injustice, notice that, loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. So there's a couple of different things going on here. There's the loosing of something, and then there's the actual breaking of something. So there's the loosing of injustice, these these cords that bind people, loosen those up a little bit so they can breathe, but then break those things. I want to offer to you this morning that there's a big difference between compassion and justice. I want to connect it to surviving and thriving. Some of you may have heard this. It's a fable, uh, an old story. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy who's walking out in the woods, and he comes upon this river, and he sits down on the edge of the river, and all of a sudden he hears someone you know, screaming, help, 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 and somebody is in the river drowning. And so this guy looks around. There's nobody there, and he figures, okay, you know, here we go. So he jumps in the river. He goes out there. He swims out, and he drags this person in and gets them on, on shore, starts a fire, warms them up, and saves their life. They're drowning. And no sooner than this person on shore gets, you know, start, starts to get warmed up and starts to, you know, come to, uh, he hears another person in the river, drowning, screaming, help, help, save me. So he jumps back in. And he gets that, drags that person out and sets them up by the fire. No sooner than he gets that person in, he hears another person. And this goes on and on and on. Before you know it, there's like 10 people around this fire. Compassion 
is those people are drowning and somebody needs to save them, right? Because if nobody jumps in the water, they're going to die. That's compassion. But at some point, somebody needs to ask the question, who's upstream pushing these people in? Right? Like, how are these people getting in the river? They're, they're, they just keep coming, and something is happening upstream of the issue that I see right here, and we could continue to do this all day long, and it needs to happen. But gang, somebody's got to ask the question, what is the system upstream that's causing these people to get pushed into the river, right? That's justice. That's a justice question. Surviving is these people are drowning and they're going to die and somebody needs to jump in and save them, right? These people are hungry and somebody needs to give them food or they're actually going to die. These people don't have clean water and somebody needs to get them clean water because it's killing their kids. That's, that's compassion. It needs to happen. But if we don't ever enter the conversation and ask the justice kinds of questions, then people just keep getting pushed in the river. People continue to die of whatever it is and we don't ask the questions that get to the systems that cause the problem. Loosen the, cord, the, the cords of injustice and then break them is the command that God gives his people. So, table mates, if you would, for a moment. We're talking about hunger. This is an issue that we believe God has led us to this year, and we're going to explore this and lean into this. Can you maybe just do some brainstorming together? What are some compassion responses to hunger? And I'm, I'm guessing that for most of us, these are the easy ones. But I want, you to, I want you to also ask, what are some justice responses to hunger in our community? Make sense? So talk amongst yourselves for a moment, if you would. What are some compassion responses? What are some justice responses to this issue of hunger? So obviously we're not not going to exhaust the list here. Uh, Somebody just leaned over and said, how dare you make us participate in church? I know, I know, right? Uh, Usually you just get to sit and listen. Um, What are some of the things you guys came up with? What are, let's do this first. What are some of the compassion responses to hunger? Some of the things you talked about. 
Food shelf. Okay, money. Soup kitchen. That's a justice question, I think, right? Oh, see the dude who's trying to, like, reform kids? Okay. There we go. Yeah. That's a just. That's a system thing. Yeah. Kind of gave him the middle finger and said, I'm going to do this, right? Can I say that in church? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> he kind of did, though. Uh, other compassion issues, maybe one or two more, or compassion responses. Totally. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Community garden. Okay. Now, let's do justice. Okay. Talking about legislation or the political systems. Education. I would say connecting community garden to people who are actually hungry. Now, there's a justice thing, right? What else? Okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about the distribution of wealth, right? Here's a hot one. hey <laughs> Notice I'm not going to weigh in on that as a nonprofit, 503 or whatever we are. Okay. Um, again, we're not going to solve this today, guys. But what I want to do is just bring it to the surface. I'm kind of the agitator here, right? You guys have seen that? Like when you're making bread, I'm that weird-looking hook, you know, that just kind of agitates all the dough. And that's what I'm trying to do today. So if you feel like I'm an agitator, I'm like a hook, <laughs> Uh, that's good. That's good. Um, so compassion, justice, what is poverty, right? Let's, let, just lastly, I, wa- I want to say this, and I want to look to, uh, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy, well, actually, we'll just look at Deuteronomy 24. We've already read it. But I would say this, poverty doesn't always need a handout. If we often define poverty in terms of material resources, wealth, money, then our knee-jerk response is most likely going to be, how can we give money to this particular issue? Okay. Uh, there was a, <clears throat> a, a church here in America. They, uh, they wanted to help in Africa, and uh, they found a town. Um, eggs have tons of protein, and they thought it would be great to get people who are malnourished, you know, eggs, because they have lots of protein, right? The incredible edible egg, right? So they do this egg drive, they do this egg drive, they get all this money to buy all these eggs and they go into this town and they begin to give away these eggs to people who need them. Little did they know, unbeknownst to them, was there was a, a local farmer who had been raising chickens who had been doing so to, for the specific reason of producing eggs who actually created a business in his, in, his, in his town where he sold eggs and provided for his family. And this group of people went in, gave away all these eggs, drove, uh, so then there's no demand for the eggs that he has. He goes out of business. He can't feed his family, so he slaughters the chickens because that's all he's got. And now what does he have? What does he need? He needs a handout. That is absolutely tragic. And I think God is pissed when we do that. And I'm sorry for that language, but I think that's the level to which we need to go. I think this angers God in a very, very real way when we do things like this. And it's, and it's because we don't understand the issues at times and we don't understand, we don't think that, it, it, that economics have anything to do with it or, or capitalism or, or anything. It's just, 
bonkers. And I could go on and tell you all kinds of stories about this. Clothing drives where the same things happen. Drove local shops right out of business because people come in and give away clothes. And there's no demand for what they're selling. And then they go out of business. It's just brutal. Poverty doesn't need a handout. Okay? There, there is sometimes where compassion is needed. People are drowning. Yes, let's help them. Okay? But look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this is the absolutely mind-blowing portion of this that I, that I think is brilliant. 2,500 years ago, a document was written that gets this. Look at what it says in verses 19 to 21. When you're harvesting a field don't, and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the alien, the, orf, uh, the alien, what was it? The immigrant, fatherless, and the widow. When you have an olive grove, don't go back. Harvest your olives, but don't go back and get everything that you've missed. Uh, when you have a grape, you guys get the point, right? So the command to God's people was not to go back. Now, from our perspective as, as Western capitalistic people, we think that's bonkers. Why wouldn't I absolutely uh, squeeze every ounce and dollar out of whatever it is I've invested into so that I could gain profit from it. And, and hey, let's do this. Let's harvest all of the corn. Let's harvest all of the grapes. Let's harvest all of the olives, make a huge profit, and then give some money away to the people who need it, right? No, what does God's word say? It says, don't do that. Leave it there. It doesn't say go back and harvest it and then give it to the people who need it, does it? Built into the command to God's people is to leave the olives on the tree, to leave the grapes on the vine. Why? So that the alien, the orphan, and the immigrant, the people who do not have the land and the, and the opportunity to do this, can go work for themselves, make, get some product, feed their family, and maybe even if somebody's got a, a right head on, sell some of it to make some profit. Built into the command is the opportunity to provide for oneself, to have dignity in the process, to have self-worth in the process, to actually get ahead, to actually get an opportunity to provide and make a, a way for yourself in the world. To, to well, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, make a difference in, in, in your community. You could go about this two different ways. And the one that God's people are commanded to do gets the justice piece of it. Isn't that brilliant? 2,500 years ago. I want to close and I want to just offer three words to you uh, in this book that I'm reading and in another one called Generous Justice. Uh, relief, development, and reform. As we explore this issue of hunger, as we uh, spend time in this area, <clears throat> I want to offer these three ideas for you as a, maybe just a framework, a grid for us to ask the right questions and really learn and be hopefully led by the Spirit. Relief is compassion. It's providing hung, uh, food for hungry people. It's providing clothes for people who don't have any. It's, it's those kinds of things. It's in a disaster situation, you go and you provide relief. If relief is all there is, we have a problem because we have to do the development Development is the development of the systems, the economic structures, the, the education of, of, of people on economic structures. Hey, um, there's all kinds of food out there to be harvested. Let me teach you, let me talk to you about an economic principle where you could go out, harvest it, feed your family, and sell some of it and buy your own land. That's development kind of stuff. Reform is talking about the systems that produce the, 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 the result. So what are the systems, if we're talking about school lunches, 
that produce kids that are obese, who can't learn and who are unhealthy, who continue the cycle of poverty. Let's talk about the systems that produce that. Let's reform. Let's get involved in political things. And this is where Christians need to be. We don't need to distance ourselves from politics and say that's the devil's and you know, all that kind of stuff. And we live in this little cloistered kingdom. That's ridiculous. And it's not biblical. God calls us to get involved and to do acts of justice which is to, to participate in the conversations about reform. So gang, as we do this, here's, here's my, my whole point this, this morning is this. I want to challenge us to think deeply and maybe more deeper than we have previously about issues of hunger and of poverty and of justice and injustice. This is a huge pool we've, we're jumping into. And I know this is a journey. And I want to just raise some things to the, to the surface and let us wrestle with them. I don't have any quippy little story to tell you at the end to really tie it home and draw on your emotions here. So let me just do this. Uh, We started this three weeks ago, and this is a journey. Uh, Three weeks ago, for the first time, you were challenged to step into this thing on hunger. We thought about doing, like, Q&A, but that would assume that you have the questions and I have the answers, and that's, of course, not what we want to do. So we're going to do Q&Q, questions and questions, okay? So what are some of the, are there questions that have come up as we've started? If there aren't, that's fine. We'll just sing our closing song and we'll be on our way. 